chapter 9. Um, we're going to be looking at another one of par- uh, Jesus' parables this morning. And <clears throat> as, I, as I prayed, uh, you know, typically what I, what I intentionally try to do whenever we have a missionary is preach a missions message, if you would, you know, try and stir our hearts for missions. And, and God kept pulling me back to this parable. And lo and behold, this parable has to do about missions. And it may not seem like it at first, but bear with me. It'll make sense at the end, okay? <clears throat> so I want to start by asking a question that... Um, uh, well, let, let me just ask you a question. How many of you like change? <laughs> Not many, okay? Uh, my, my experience is, is that most people do not like change. Uh, let, let me give you an example. My wife and I, if we go to a restaurant, once my wife finds something on a menu... Every time we go there, guess what she does? She orders the exact same thing. She does not like change. Now, me, on the other hand, I, I try to order something different all, all the time because I, I, I like variety. I, I like change. And it, it drives my poor wife absolutely crazy. I read something years ago I wanted to share with you uh, this morning uh, to try and... Uh, Help us with the fact that change hurts sometimes. or not, not that it hurts, but it's hard sometimes. We have a railroad person here this morning, so hopefully you'll appreciate this story. Um, the U.S. standard railroad gauge, that's the distance between the rails, is four feet, eight and a half inches. Did you know that? It's four feet, eight and a half inches. Why such an odd number? Because that's the way they built them in England. The American Railroad was built by British immigrants. So that's how they did it in England. That's how they do it here. Why did England adopt such a peculiar gauge? Because the people who built the pre-railroad transway used that gauge. They, in turn, were locked into that gauge because people who built the transwell railways used the same standard and tools they had used to build wagons. Change is hard. That four feet, eight and a half inches. So, why were wagons built with a gauge of four feet, eight and a half inches? Because with any other size, the wheels would not match the old ruts in the roads. So, who built the old rutted roads? 
The first long-distance highway in Europe was built by the Imperial Rome, uh, Imperial Rome for a benefit for their legions. The roads have been used ever since. The ruts were first made by uh, uh, Roman war chariots. Four feet, eight and a half inches is the width of a chariot needed to be to accommodate the rear end of two horses. <laughs> Change does not come easy. And I, I, I read this years ago and I thought, it is amazing to me that our railroad today was determined by two horses. <laughs> that, that to me is amazing. Maybe that's where, you know, that's why, well, that's the way it's always been, comes from. I don't know. Now, now you've learned something. <laughs> I personally don't mind most change. I, I actually like variety in, in, for the most part. There are some things I don't like to change. This morning, we're going to be looking at two obscure parables. Uh, these two parables have to do with change. Jesus, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Um, in Matthew chapter 9, um, it was still early in Jesus' ministry. Uh, <clears throat> Jesus uh, introduced, in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the time of Jesus' ministry, from the time he started in the age 30-ish or so, to the time he died uh, three years later, um, he introduced a lot of change. Let me let me give you a couple examples. <clears throat> John uh, chapter thirteen, uh, verses thirty-four and thirty-five. He says, "A new commandment give I unto you, that ye love one another, uh, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love." One to another. So my question is, if that's the new, the 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 new commandment, what was the old commandment? Okay, it was to love others as yourself. But see, Jesus changed it. What? Did, how did Jesus change it? You you are to love others like I love you. He changed it. He upped the ante, so to speak. Uh, another change that uh, Jesus made in his ministry, we find in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 44. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. That is the new command. What is the old command? Okay. No? Okay, it was the previous verse. Actually, I purposely didn't read the previous verse. But in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, it says this, Ye have heard that it had been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor, and what? Hate thine enemy. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Love your enemy. Pray for your enemy. Do good to them that despitefully use you. See, Jesus, Jesus changed a lot of things in his ministry. And... and <clears throat> And to be quite honest, a lot of the change that came was very contrary 
to the tradition of the of the Jews. It was very very contrary, and and Jesus was constantly introducing. Um, well, I shouldn't say constantly, but he he introduced a lot of new theology, if you would. We don't have the right to hate anybody now. Before that, you they you could, you could you could hate your enemies. But since Jesus came and changed it, we we can't hate anyone. So the title of my message this morning is this, very simply, The Parables of Change. The Parables of Change. Um, let's read them. Uh, it's just two parables, two, two verses, uh, one, one in each uh, uh, verse. Um, Matthew chapter 9 and verse 16. No man putteth a piece of new cloth on an old garment, for that which is put in to fit it, uh, fitted up, taketh from the garment, and <clears throat> the rent is made worse. Verse 17. Neither do men put new wine into old bottles, else the bottles break, and the wine uh, runneth out, and the bottles perish. <clears throat> but they put new wine in new bottles, and both are Preserve. So let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work you do in our lives. And Lord, I ask as we look at your word this morning that it would be a challenge, uh, that you would use it to help us to rethink some things in our lives. We are truly blessed. And we thank you for our time together this morning. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. On the surface, you look at these two parables like I have for years, and, and I, I don't get it. What's, what's the purpose? I mean, it makes sense. You, you know, you, you patch a, a piece of garment, um, it, the value of that garment is going to be less, or, or it's, it's not even going to work. Uh, you put, you know, old wine in bottles, and we'll talk about this more in, in a minute, but it, it makes sense that you just don't do that. But what is the purpose? What is the, what is the you know, and, and earlier I said that this is a missions-minded kind of message. And you think, how does that have to do with missions? So, let's dig into these two parables and see what we find. I, I was, I was, I, 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 told, I told my wife after I was done studying, I said, I absolutely love the Word of God. It, it is constantly challenging me constantly challenging me and i hope that this morning is a challenge to you as well so point number one this morning let's look at jesus's audience who is jesus talking to when he gives these two parables <clears throat> to better understand that uh the the parables you have to understand who jesus is talking to okay verse 14 let's back up to verse 14 then came to him the disciples of John, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast oft, but thy disciples fast not? So who 
is the audience here. It's very, very clear. His audience are the disciples of John the Baptist. Okay, not John the Apostle, but John the Baptist. <clears throat> John the Baptist was a strange guy. I mean, he, yeah, he's just straight up weird. Okay, I, I'm just saying, even, even for his culture in that day, he was weird. Uh, it, it just in Mark chapter one in verse six, it says that and John, being John the Baptist, was clothed with camel's hair, and with a, a girdle of uh, of a skin about his loin, and he did eat locusts and wild honey. Even even the people of his day thought he was weird. Can you imagine going up into the foothills here? We have we have these things called uh, Mormon Mormon crickets. Hey, lunch, man! It's, it's all over the place. That's what he ate, pretty much. Go for it. Hey, it's high in protein. <laughs> Un- ultimately. Ultimately, what happened was John was the was it was known as the forerunner of Christ, and he preached he preached the coming of the Messiah, and and ultimately what happened was is is that he 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 ended up getting a following, if you would, and and as you read through the Bible uh, in the New Testament, um, you, you see the phrase John's disciples uh, a few times. And it was those followers of John out in the wilderness following him, and they were all looking for the Messiah. John made it very clear that he was not the Messiah, but that he himself was looking for the Messiah. Uh, In John chapter 1, uh, verses 35 to 37, it says again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. See, John John had not met him yet, but he knew, he just knew that Jesus was the Lamb of God, the Messiah. And that's who, that's who Jesus, or that's who um, uh, John was, was pointing people to Jesus. Uh, and the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed who? Jesus. John, John sees Jesus from a distance. He's standing there with two of his disciples, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God. And those two disciples said, Hey, we're done with you. We want, we want to follow the Messiah. That, that, who, that is who John is. And, and this is the audience, the people that, that Jesus is talking to in here in Matthew chapter 9. Simply put, John's job, John the Baptist's job, was to point people to Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, it says, As it is written in uh, the prophets, Behold, I stand, uh, excuse me, I send a messenger before thy face, uh, which shall uh, prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, 
Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. And John did baptize in the wilderness and, and preached the baptism of repentance for the remissions of sin. So John, John's followers, John's disciples come to Jesus and ask him a question. So let's look at the question. Again, uh, point number two, the question in verse 14. Then came uh, to him the disciples of John saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast off, but thy, thy disciples fast not? Again, this is an important question considering who's asking the question. What uh, Truthfully, uh, I believe that it is a great question, considering who's asking the question. The followers or the disciples of John the Baptist. But in order to understand the question, again, you have to understand the culture. John the Baptist was eccentric at best. Very unconventional in his, in his lifestyle. His life was one of mostly fasting, and when he did eat, he ate locusts and wild honey. So what do you think he would have taught his followers? Fasting and eating weird stuff. You know, that's what he would have taught them. <clears throat> because that's how he lived. It would have been natural, now, now get this, because this, this is important. It would have been natural for John's disciples to think that the pathway to holiness was through fasting. Right? I mean, that, that is a logical conclusion. Because, again, the culture. What is the culture here? The culture, they were all Jews for the most part. As far as I know, all of John's disciples were, were Jews. And fasting was a big deal in the, in the Jewish teachings. And, and the, the Pharisees would fast and they would, they, would, they would put ashes on their head and they would... They would rent their clothes and they would stand on the corners and they would groan and they would, they would make a big show of this fasting and they would, they would do all of this stuff and to draw attention to themselves. Fasting was a huge thing in the Jewish society. And, 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 and John was one who fasted a lot. So here, John's disciples are, are seeing all of this and they come from a culture that taught that fasting was a sense of self-torture for you to get closer to God. That's what, they, that's what they were taught. Now that is not the intention of fasting, okay? Okay, let me just say that. We, we taught on a Sunday night a couple of weeks ago. That is not even close to what fasting is about. But that's what the culture believed. And they saw it in John's life and they saw it in the lives of the Pharisees. So they come to Jesus and they ask the question, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples, why don't they fast? 
a very legitimate question because ultimately we have to believe that the disciples of John had a desire to get to know Christ more. So they were willing to self-sacrifice in order to show their desire for more godly things. But let's look at the answer. Point number three. See, religion teaches self-sacrifice. Jesus teaches relationship. Look at the answer. It's the first part of verse 15. And Jesus said, un, said unto them, can, a ch- uh, can the children of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? So Jesus answers the question with a very simple illustration here. This is not a, this is not a parable. This is an illustration Jesus used. The bridegroom, the the children of the bridegroom that he's talking about here, if you understand the Jewish wedding, the the children of the bridegroom are not children. It is a reference to the bridegroom's closest friends. And what what Jesus is telling him is this. Would the closest friends of a bridegroom... fast during the wedding feast. Okay, again, you have to understand the culture. What's going on here? Basically, what he's saying here is this. Jesus in asking this question or answering this question is identifying the disciples John's disciples that he's talking to as his own friends. Okay, he's identifying them as, as, as his own friends. But basically, what he says is this. I wrote this down, so I, don't, I want to read it so I don't get it wrong. How inappropriate would it be for a bridegroom's closest friends to throw cold water on the most important event of his life? See, you have to understand that the wedding feast, when it took place, was a seven-day feast. And it was a time of great joy and happiness. And what Jesus is, is telling his disciples, uh, John's disciples, is how inappropriate would it be for um, <clears throat> the, a, a groom's closest friends to come to the wedding feast and say, you know what, we're not going to eat. We're going to fast. And it would, it would totally destroy the joy and the fun of the event. And the, the, implied, the, the, the implied answer to Jesus' answer, which was a question, so the implied answer to the question is this, nobody would think about doing that. Nobody would want to ruin the, the, the marriage feast. So... Basically, what Jesus is saying here is this. I'm here. Come spend time with me. And let's enjoy our time together. That's basically what Jesus is saying. 
So, we've talked about his audience, the question, and the answer. So let's get to the bones of the lesson that Jesus is trying to teach her. Point number four, the lesson being taught. The lesson being taught. In verse 15, let's, let's read verses 15, 16, and 17 again. And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride, uh, the, the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? And the, the answer is no. But the day will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them. And shall, and then shall they fast. No man putteth a piece of new cloth into an old garment, for that which is put in into fill it up taketh from the garment, and <clears throat> rent and the rent is made worse. Neither do men put new wine into old bottles, else the bottle break and the wine runneth out and the bottle perish er, and, and, and the bottle perish but they put new wine in new bottles and both are preserved in verse 15 in the middle of verse 15 Jesus uses an incredible word but by using that word, Jesus is getting ready to turn the theological world upside down. And, and, and again, you might, you might look at this and say, I, I don't get it. I don't see it. Well, let's, let's keep going here. Jesus is declaring a new dispensation. Now, I know that's a big theological term, but it just simply means a new, a new order of things. That's what it means. And Jesus is declaring a new dispensation. He starts off uh, <clears throat> uh, uh, by, in verse 15, he, he announces his departure. He's, he tells him, he's like, hey, look, I'm here now. Let's, let's fellowship now. But, but I'm going away. Then is the time to fast, not now. Simply put, God had given the task of reaching the world with the gospel to the nation of Israel. That's the simple, that's the simple truth here. But they failed. They failed to reach the world. They had become so consumed with their, their laws and their, and their guidelines and all of their, their traditions that they had failed to reach the world with the gospel. A new dispensation, a new order of things is being introduced in these two very simple parables that we often overlook. Verse 16 talks about the garment 
and 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 taking and and the assumption, at least my assumption is, an expensive piece of garment and sewing a cheap piece of material into it, and thinking you can fix it. And Jesus says, you can't do that. The Lord did not come to patch up the old religion. He came to start the New Testament church. That is the incredible truth in this passage. Jesus is saying, I, I'm not here to, to fix or to patch or to do anything. We're here to start anew. That is a beautiful picture for us today. Jesus one day, shortly, well not shortly, but after this, uh, in Matthew chapter 27, Jesus would rent the veil, a very clear picture of what he's talking about here. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 50, 51. And Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, cried out, uh, or excuse me, yielded up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain, from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. The renting of the veil is a beautiful picture of what Jesus is trying to communicate here. And the renting took place from the top to the bottom. It did not. That is an incredible picture, because the renting happening from the top to the bottom means it came from heaven. Men did not do that. If the renting took place from the bottom to the top, that would be men being able to do that. But no, God himself rent the veil, signifying a new dispensation had started. A new order of things was about to take place. It would make no sense. to try and fix an old, broken system. Now, I have spent the majority of my life working construction prior to the pastor. That's what I did. And, and there were many times I would be um, called out to a project, and my first response was, you know what, just tear it down and start over. You've been there, right? Some t- it, it is cheaper better (laughs) you know why because the structure had become so deteriorated it was beyond repair and that's exactly what jesus was saying about judaism it had become so decayed by tradition and religion it was beyond repair and he's here to start a new dispensation a new order of things And then he goes to verse 17 and he uses the illustration of putting old wine into new bottles. And the word bottles here is not necessarily referring to a bottle like we think today. Because, you know, in our world, we have glass bottles. Yeah, you could plastic, whatever, you can reuse them and use them. No, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about in in this day, um, it was very traditional for wine to be put into leather uh, like satchets. Or, or satchels. Anyway, you know what I'm, you know, leather bottles. Okay. And what would happen was, and it was most of, most of them were made out of goat skin. 
And when the wine was poured in, they would be, they were very elastic. Well, yeah. Anyway, they stretched. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, they had a lot of elasticity. That's the word I was looking for. Um, So when you poured it in, it would expand and you could fill up the bottle. And then as you drank, you'd squeeze it and, and drink from it and so on and so forth. But what would happen was the wine would cause the leather to what? Dry out and become brittle. So it was very customary in that time. You did not put good wine into old bottles because you'd throw it up on your camel, get about halfway down the, down the highway, and guess what would happen? That banging against the side of the camel would bust the bag and you'd be thirsty. Again, the picture here is, hey, we're starting over. This is a new dispensation that we're starting. Phillips Brooks wrote this. The old was right for its day and age, but now it was time for the new. A new dispensation, a new covenant, a new uh, dramatic, uh, new principles, new life, new methods, and new containers. The New Testament church. You think, okay, pastor, I'm starting to, to get all this, but how did, what has this got to do with missions? That's got everything to do with missions. This morning we have Sarah with us, Sarah Goodman, who has dedicated her life to sharing the gospel wherever she goes. That is the new that is the call of the New Testament church. I heard a mis- a, a definition of a missionary years ago and I and I don't know if it's exactly what I heard years ago but it's close. Uh, and that is this, someone that is willing to go anywhere and tell someone about Jesus Christ. That's what a missionary is. And see, we have this skewed thought in our head that a missionary has to go to the Amazon basin. But the reality is this, a missionary can go to Walmart, can go to your neighbor next door. In fact, that's the calling of the New Testament church. In Matthew chapter 28, verses uh, 18 through 20, was Jesus' last command here on earth. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always even into the world. And only those people called missionaries and pastors have to do that. I added the last part of that. Okay? (laughs) Just saying. But that's what we think sometimes. It's our job as as the New Testament church, the, the, the new dispensation that Christ called into order in Matthew chapter 9, putting away the old traditions of religion to walk in a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
so that we as believers in the New Testament church, <clears throat> excuse me, as we as believers in the New Testament church can take the gospel forward. That is the New Testament church. It's not my job as a pastor to preach the gospel. It's my job as a believer in Jesus Christ to share the gospel. It's your job. Sarah's calling is nothing unusual other than the fact of where God wants her to fulfill the command of the Great Commission. And it's our job as a New Testament church to help her financially and prayerfully accomplish what God has called her to do. The question isn't who should go. The question is, are you willing to go? You say, but pastor, I'm too old or I'm too this, I'm too that. No, 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 no. We are all commanded to go. Some are called to Brazil, the Amazon basin, excuse me. Some are called to Fernley. Some are called to your workplace. Some are called to your neighbors. See, it's all the same. The only thing that changes is the location of the calling. And the fact and the, re and the reality is the reason she needs our financial support is because where she is legally, you can't hold a job there, right? If, if she were caught holding a second job, she would be shipped out immediately. That's why she needs our financial support. That's why most of our missionaries need financial support. It's because legally, most, especially in third world countries, will not allow American missionaries to come in and take jobs away from their own people. That's why we have to support them financially and prayerfully. As we heard in last week's parable, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Is that not, should that not be the goal of every believer to hear? Well done. Because you're going to stand before Christ one day. Every one of us. And I believe that is the thing that, that should drive all of us is to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Most people do not like change. In fact, I, I have talked to several people here this morning uh, over the course of my knowing Sarah, encouraging you to go with Sarah on a missions trip. Take, take the vacation time and go. It'll change your life. But you know what I hear most of the time? Oh, man, I remember. I ain't going. Man, they got mosquitoes like this. You know? Right, Terry? <laughs> Do they really? Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> but it'll change your life. Plus, 
it can change the lives of someone else. Be willing to go. Be willing to step out of your comfort zone and do something different. This very simple parable that, uh, I, I, I'll be honest with you, I have read several times and, and really never really took the time to study it until, until recently. I'll tell you, this, the, 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 these two parables have changed my life. And I understand the gospel a little different today because of these parables. And I hope you do too. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work you do in our lives. And Lord, <clears throat> as we bring our service to an end, I do ask that you would speak to our hearts, that you would encourage us, that you would strengthen us, but Lord, more importantly, that you would help us to see the need to go. Not the question of who should go, but should I go? Thank you for your love, for the work you do in our lives. Invitation is very, very simple this morning. Has God spoken to your heart like he has mine? Has he challenged you in your thinking? If there's anybody who would say, Pastor, God has spoken to my heart, will you pray for me? If that's you, just lift your hand. I'll see it and I'll pray for you. Amen. Anybody else say, Pastor, would you pray for me as well? Lord, you know our hearts. And Lord, you know the burdens that many of us carry, the struggles. And Lord, we ask as we bring our service to an end that you would speak to our hearts, that you would encourage us, you would strengthen us, and you would help us to be more like you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, I promise you.